Let's pray. Dear Lord, we are grateful for the fellowship of the saints. We're grateful for our time together in your word. To attend to these things and pursue these things is, is, is what we desire. We'd ask that you would bless us in it. In your son's name, amen. I'm in 2 Peter chapter 1. Not quite the whole chapter. Um, I think I end like uh, two verses before the end of the chapter. I, the, the, the topical shift didn't seem to break in the right place. But uh, it's one of those overarching pieces of advice. Uh, I don't know, a few things brought this up. We were talking the other night, some of us, about Peter and what a bohunkus he was. You know, compared to the smarty pants St. Paul, you know, Peter going around, go, huh, go, huh. And, you know, he blows it, and he doesn't have faith, and he gets to get corrected in the Bible. I mean, it's one thing to have be corrected in life, but you got corrected in the Bible <laughs> by an apostle. And Jesus calls you Satan at one point. You know, I mean, just great resume for St. Peter. But you, know, but you get to the books of First and Second Peter, and you're uniquely blessed by them. They're constructed in such a tight, effective way. They're not struggling with complicated reasoning, like the book of Romans or some such things. Even Peter in Second Peter says... Uh, of, of Paul's writing, some of the things in them are hard to understand. Which, the, which I know he's probably going, and he's raising his hand going, and I'm one of those guys that has a hard time understanding Paul. But Peter, when he gets down to it, when he does his best work, he is the guy that gets up in the boat and runs across the top of the water. When he does his best work, he's remarkable. You know? So, I, 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 First and Second Peter are two of my favorite um, works, but I was looking at Second Peter, because I hadn't actually been in this section in a number of years, and it says at the beginning, Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, in the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, many times those introductions, which are filled with panegyric and great statement, We, we gloss over, get into the text, get into the meaning of the passage. But he's, he's laying actually a groundwork in the greeting that he's going to develop in the major part of the body of the, ch of the chapter. So let's take a look at it. One of the things that I had on my mind this week, I had a call from an old friend and... and uh, and the, he was asking, you know, I know what should be most important to me. I know that the Christian walk in Christ is most important to me. It hasn't been. I've been slipping away into business and, you know, the cares of this world. How do I get back? How do I get back to putting God first? And one of the things that we covered in the discussion is having in mind not just the pious statement of having God first, right? You know, what's the little illustration? Is, is Jesus on the throne of your life or are you on the throne? You, know, you have these pictures in your mind that, that how you're going to have God first. I'm going to do a lot of Bible reading. I'm going to, do, I'm going to go to church on time. We have to know, I, said, I told him, you have to know what's coming at you. When you say God first, what does it mean? Who, who is the God? 
And what is he, what is he holding out to you that you know you don't have right now? Well, all of us, you know, in Christians have been in various stages of ennui or um, malaise. One of those two words that you don't get to use often. Kind of a dullness. We know we're Christians. We know we've obtained a faith of equal standing. It's the same faith that, you know, Peter had. He's not extra special with extra special gospel for him. When he, when, he, when he preaches to Cornelius, the Roman centurion, and he actually reports to the Jews in, in Acts, if I do it somewhere. Um, and he's reporting to the Jews afterwards in Acts 11. And he says... As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? Very early in Peter's ministry, he's looking at this first ministry to the Gentiles, and he's seeing their coming to grace in Christ by faith, to be the same as his own, and the same as the rest of the apostles. And that's where we stand. We've all, we've all passed from death to life. Those of us who are Christians have passed from death to life by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the same faith of equal standing. It is about the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's why we became Christian, because we weren't righteous, and he was. He was expecting it. There was a last judgment. So you got forgiveness of sins and life eternal solved the righteousness problem. But us having God first, we know it can get scrambled in what we pick up to try to resolve that. And I told my friend on the phone, you don't want to call it God first, you want to call it this, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. I said, what you've lacked is that you lack the peace of God. Possibly because you lack the grace of God, <laughs> but you lack the peace with God. Focus on what you're missing so you know what you're getting, so you know when you didn't get it. Because whatever plan you have, because some people, when they are when they're looking to get right with God, they really only want God to do something magical, realign the circuits in their head, so that the way they want life to turn out will turn out with God's United Laboratory sticker of approval on it. That stuff you want to have happen, your romance, your job, your future, your family, when you want it all to turn out the way you want it to turn out, so you need God to be this vague first in your life. So you get the blessing of I mean, a superstitious blessing. You've, you've, you've met people like that, you know, people who actually wear crosses. You've, have you ever met somebody? Anybody here wearing a cross? We got, there's a couple. One, two, three. I got it, one here. A little large, but uh, I have to hang it on the wall. It's so big. I got to get rid of that. People have a hope that the religion they take on really is a sustainer of them. Or do you want God first because you want the way He wants it to turn out? Not the way you want it to turn out, the way He wants it to turn out. This whole thing, this Christianity thing, is this righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ. This whole thing is in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And you have to ask yourself, do I want grace and peace multiplied? Do I want what he wants if, of me? Not do I want God who just steps into your life, elbows into enough room, enough areas of your day, 
Then he leaves you alone for the rest of the time so that your interests and your life can be led. Verse 3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's encouraged you to think that grace and peace could be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. Grace and peace. Do you want grace and peace? Do you want, do you want this effect? His divine power has granted that everything that could build that life, build that godliness, is available to you, interestingly enough, through the knowledge of him. So, some people want to have a jumping enough worship service. Some people want to have a romantic enough notion of Jesus. Some people, you know, have to have smells and bells or whatever it is that is the, the emotional leverage in their life to make them feel strongly about God so that they feel God is doing something in their life. So that they feel he is first. He says, no, his divine power has granted you everything through something, through knowledge of God. Not just knowledge of stuff. Not just knowledge of religious stuff. Knowledge of him who called you in his own glory and excellence. By which that knowledge he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So his divine power to produce life and godliness in every area is ministered to you by the knowledge of God in his glory and excellence. And that knowledge of God in his glory and excellence has granted you the promises of God. And they are great, great promises. That through these, okay, if you ever get a chance, parse out a sentence. You know, it lets you know what... He has granted. It might be different ways you could read it, but I, you know, there, there are different possibilities. But it seems like the promises, the precious and very great promises, through these you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of passion and become partakers of the divine nature. That's where we wanted to go, right? We wanted the divine nature, grace and peace. We want to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1. We want to get there. And he's told you this. He says, okay. I've got the faith of equal standing with the apostles. I have the right, I should have the right target goal. I need grace. I need peace. God has provided his power to the equation through my participation in the knowledge of God. And in the knowledge of God, I have learned his very precious and very great promises. And those promises grant me the escape from corruption, which I don't want in my life. You don't want to keep any corruption, and it's in your life because of passion. You know me. I'm not a I'm not, I don't hide my one feeling very well, which is passion's a bad thing. Well, not a bad thing. Passion's an uh, ineffective inertial force, <laughs> ineffective for holiness. Because of passion, if I follow passion, I'm going to be, <laughs> I'm going to be up the creek. Corruption's in the world because of passion. People do what they want to do, what they have urged to do. And if I escape from the corruption, I become partakers of the divine nature. Do we know what we're after? Now, I, as I was, long after I got the sermon notes done, so I didn't put it in there, I, I was, you know, um, milling about. I think it was here at the church. I was already here and people were here and I was walking around. But I was thinking about the passage a little bit. And I was uh, struck by how this passage is about what you should think about, you, the saint, should think about regarding your life, which is your life, to think about. 
It tells you to be doing stuff. Now, I don't know if All Souls Christian is just one lazy church. We don't do a whole lot for you, okay? No programs, we buy coffee, we have the head deacon, the only deacon, make the coffee. Now, that's about it. We want you to be walking with Christ. The church is not here to create a program that makes this occur in the people in the church. The people in the church are being told that you create this program for yourself. You create this desire to become a partaker of the divine nature. Because it doesn't say in verse 5, for this very reason make every effort to create a program that will supplement the saints' lives with faith and virtue, etc. It's now you make every effort. Your faith, your virtue. Too many churches are waiting, too many parishioners are waiting for the church to give them something, some cause to get them going. Some grace to be given. Your walk with God is your walk with God, and your walk with God is either what it ought to be in grace and peace, or what it ought not be in grace and peace. But he tells you, for this very reason, verse 5. Now there's a danger. Because if I took that pattern, divine power granted if by the knowledge of God, and I learn about the promises, and that will have me escape. I could describe an unpleasant Christian in that situation. They would think that their overtight theological precision is the divine nature that they are promised. But I look at verse 5 as this helpful um, resource to not have you turn out like some Pharisee. The divine power of God is available through the knowledge of him, yes. And the knowledge of him includes the promises, yes, which point me to escaping the corruption of the world. Through these, I can escape the corruption because I recognize the promise and I become of divine nature. People that are rationalist or smart or want to go on to more and more knowledge can end up being really difficult in the church. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. It's almost like this is a different or a preceding, a preceding piece of advice. Now, why do I say it's a preceding piece of advice to that God's grant of his knowledge being such a change for you that you become partakers of the divine nature? that out the other end, you're going to look great. Well, because at the end of this section, this paragraph, verse um, 8, because he says, For if these things are yours and abound, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because the previous paragraph had recommended a knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? You get the grant of God's power to all things of life and godliness through the knowledge of him by which he granted you the very precious and great promises that you could escape the corruption of the world because of passion and take, become partakers of the divine nature. That won't happen because ineffective and unfruitful is what's going to happen if you don't have the list in verse 5 through 7. Because if these things are yours, and at a level of what you call, only call, abundant. Now, you know me. I'm big on abundance. I'm big on so much abundance I waste stuff. I'm not going to tell the story about yesterday and the chocolate 
It wasn't me. I don't like chocolate that much. But I can eat a lot of French fries. I like abundance. I think that's, I like so many French fries that I leave French fries. I eat myself sick and still leave French fries to, to throw away. That's abundance. When people start needing to have in some modern ethic, everything has to have its purpose and cause, you don't, have, you don't understand abundance. It's basically too much. Too much of these things. If these things are yours and abound, a lot of them, they will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. And whoever lacks these things, verse 9, is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. So that's why I think that this basic task of finding the divine nature through the power of God and the knowledge of God the promises of God, okay? Power, granted, knowledge, provided, promises, bringing about. I don't want that knowledge to be unfruitful. So, I have to go back to verse 5 and say, hmm, a supplement. Now, I don't take supplements. Anybody here take supplements? Some of you? Yeah, yeah, the usual suspects. The healthy people, you know, <laughs> not the pastor. I, I don't take supplements. But why does one take supplements? Well, you feel that something in your diet is not being provided adequately, so you're going to take a supplement. Simple. Make every effort to supplement. Because you might have an equal faith to St. Peter. You're supposed to supplement that faith with virtue. And supplement the virtue with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with steadfastness. And steadfastness with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love. What a list. And to keep it from just ending up like a list of the prose text, I have it over here. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection. Love. That's a really nice person. That's a very enjoyable person to be around. That is no Pharisee. That is no difficult theologian. I was helping my dad this week, and he had, a, he had just read the biography of uh, Charles Finney. And uh, Charles, there was an engraving of Charles Finney that was on his desk. I looked at it and said, oh my heavens. He looked like he hated everything. He probably didn't, but there were probably engravings taken from photographs and people couldn't smile in early photographs because the exposure times were so long that people had to have, they couldn't smile or their face would move. So they have to, everybody look sour. So all the Christians look really sour. He especially so. We don't want to turn out to be the kind of person that Charles Finney looked like he was. He wasn't. He was a great evangelist. We want to be this person who is virtuous, knowledgeable, controlled, steadfast, dependable, dependable right? godly, affectionate to the saints, and full of love. Which you know is sort of the, the key to everything in this New Testament. I've got to, I've got to take the moment to make sure that this process of the divine nature if I want the divine nature, what God is like, or what God expects man to be like before him, if I'm going to find the power of God and the knowledge of God and the promises of God, putting aside the corruption because of passion, and making me like the Lord Jesus Christ, I have got to make every effort. That's what it says. For this very reason, make every effort. No, you don't wait till the church makes every effort. Why can't this church put on a program that, that, that takes care of this effort for me? You make every effort for this reason. I don't know how to supplement my faith with virtue. Well, apply some effort to finding out. Because that would be the first thing you would have to do. 
you know, um, we were searching for window wells yesterday because we're homeowners, and that's what homeowners do. And we went everywhere talking to people. Where could you get a window well that wasn't over $200 and the right size? Actually, the first step is, where would you find such a thing? You've been told that this is what you have to do. And, and not only am I supposed to make every effort, I have to get it. The supplement has to be gained. It's not helpful if I need vitamin D to know I need vitamin D and be all about finding vitamin D until I take vitamin D. Do you take vitamin D? Is that something you take? Okay, people take those things. But it's not just good enough to be on the long search for the thing. It's not, you're not on a long search for virtue. You've got to find virtue. Not only got to find virtue, it's got to abound in you. If these things are yours, at about, it will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. Do you want to be a partaker of the divine nature? Is it that kind of peace that you want? You, you all want peace. You know, that's, a, that's an old saw around here. We all want peace. We're all just designing it different ways. Do you want it the way God designs it? Do you want God in your life so that he will protect the way you want things to be? Or do you want God in your life because you want him to make, what, make you what he wants you to be? The divine nature. His kind of peace. I've got to find out where yeah, you might actually end up having to look on Amazon for a book written by somebody that you never heard of before because you went and talked to somebody and recommended that book because you want to know about virtue. You want to know more than pop culture references. What's your knowledge of the Word of God like? They've been printing this in English since the late Middle Ages. You probably have a few copies around your own home in a translation that you enjoy and it's still sitting there waiting to be encountered. Remember, if you lack these things, and they don't abound, you're blind, short-sighted, and you've forgotten what happened to you. Because what did your faith do? Your faith brought about the forgiveness of sins, God stepped in with the death of his son and did something to you, and you've forgotten that because you're about just getting enough Jesus, enough Christianity, to build a partaker of, in my case, Evan's nature. Have you forgotten? Well, I like this list. I mean, it's self-control. It's only well, all that stoic quality and all of that. Self-control. Controlling yourself. Brotherly affection. Different than love. There's a reason we're here in the same room, because I really wouldn't hang out with you otherwise. Because of brotherly affection. We know the same Lord. We care for each other. That's the great commandment that Christ brings that's new. You, show, you know, loving the brethren. Different than just love, love for, you know, the homeless guy on the street or love for the, your enemy. This is love for your brother or sister in Christ. Brotherly affection. And I really enjoy getting together with you guys. And if I didn't know the Lord, I wouldn't. You're not my kind of person. Some of you are into sports. I won't mention any names. Therefore, brethren, verse 10, be the more zealous to confirm your call and election. Diane raised a question at Wine, Wisdom, and Song, which was great Friday night, but uh, on zealousness and passion. This is an interesting thing because the, the, the two concepts exist in the same passage. It tells me to be zealous, aggressive, 
after it. But it warned me about passion earlier, that passion, on passion rests the corruption of the world. Zealousness, you'd be zealous for a lot of things. The Republican Party, um, a dietary fad. You could be zealous for uh, the Seahawks. Allie, I see that hand. We could be zealous for all sorts of things. It's, it's what precedes the argument our passions don't, aren't, aren't waiting for, they, they just want. They're just urge. You know, sex, hunger, uh, pride. We just want. And so just wanting, go out there and make decisions on the basis of my wanting, is not me having a cause for which I am zealous. I'm not zealous for my urges. I'm passionate. Passion will carry it just fine. But he wants me to be zealous to confirm my call and election. Now, for those of you who've been around theological circles at all, you know that phrases like call and election um, make people go crazy talking about it. I just want to point out, back at verse 3, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. We've been, at least in the text, whatever the other aspects of the call and election are, we've been called to the glory and excellence in our knowledge of him. We want to confirm both this election, my faith of equal standing with St. Peter, my call to the knowledge of God. I want to confirm those things. And if you do this, you will never fall. How's that one? I don't know what your category for holiness is. I've been in a number of discussions and, you know, as, as growing up with my father, who's a big fan of holiness, as is Jesus. Christians have a lot of different views about holiness when you bring it up. Oh, you, know, well, you know, we've got to really want it. We're never going to get it. And words like, if you do this, you will never fall. Does that warm your heart or threaten your heart? The divine nature is standing out there. You want to live by it or not? Kind of want to keep a category of falling down available so that as I design my life and Jesus is over here on the side helping me out and approving of most of what I do, one of those things is he accepts my brokenness. He accepts that I'm flawed. I'm not... A, Perfect, just forgiven. Jesus is going, I am going to smack you so hard when you get up here. Do you want to not fall? I mean, even if you think theologically it's not likely, you will be able to not fall. Do you really want to not fall? I have known saints who had their, their doctrine, their doctrines of man were such that they didn't believe that the Christian could be holy. But they desperately wanted to be. They weren't looking at their doctrine of man to excuse their inevitable sin. They were, it was a tragedy that they weren't able to be holy. Do you want to not fall? Do you want there to be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Because the productive life in God is how many trumpets are going off when the gates open for you. On the last day, you're either going, there's that illustration in Corinthians, where every man's work is tested as with fire, and if your work is burned up, you will suffer loss, but your soul will be saved. There's that kind of side door in glory, if you want to maintain the image of the city. There's a side door and a bucket of water, and they have to douse you because you're still smoldering a little bit from the adjustment in your lifestyle that had to happen, but Jesus' forgiveness of you gets you in. You get in through the side door, or 
Remember the Roman triumphs? Those of you who were around back at the Roman Empire. The Arch of Titus, Rome. You, you know, that's what someone was, some general, some council, major victories, granted a triumph. Not the motorcycle, the parade. And then the parade, everything was cut loose and they showed all the loot that they gathered and the king or general they defeated dragged in chains behind their chariot. <laughs> it warms the heart. That's what you get. A rich entrance into the eternal kingdom. Do you want to not fall and have God be happy when you show up? The well done, good and faithful servant? I'm really happy to see you. You know what that's like. You know the emotion. You know somebody famous you'd like to be the friend of. Pick one in your mind. And then you walked into the room and they lit up when you walked in. Oh, you're, so, you're the best. I don't care who it is, who you're imagining. Do you want the rich provision of entrance? It's not a matter of whether. You've got that. Your faith was of equal standing. You might not have been effective. You might not have been fruitful. You might have been blind, short-sighted, and forgotten. You might have. And you're still going to glory. Not being, you know, I don't care what, Billy Graham, not being Billy doesn't mean you don't go. Not being Billy means that they don't throw a parade for you. Do you want the parade? Do you want to please the God that saved you? Do you want to remember, not forget, that you were cleansed from your old sins? Verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these things. Why did I make that red? To remind you. Remember, certain people have forgotten things. Certain things that you have probably heard a sermon similar to this. From me, someone else, a book you read. This is not news to Christianity. This is not like, Evan discovered something this week that is so amazing, I cannot but tell you. No, this is, this is just Christianity. And you know, to some degree, that it's beneficial for you to hear it again. Peter says, I always intend to remind you of these things. And he admits, though you know them, and are established in the truth that you have. So when a preacher gets up there and you know, pounds the pulpit, leans into the mic, tries to get some verve going, it's not because he believes that you don't do these things, and sometimes people get offended. What are you trying to say? What are you trying to say, that I'm not after the Lord? You swine? Well, even St. Peter, preaching a sermon in this letter to people who he knew, knew it. I want to remind you. I think it right as long as I'm in this body to arouse you by way of reminder. Do you think being reminded, don't you hate it when mom reminds you? Right? The worst possible thing. I know you told me to deal with that. I don't need to be reminded. We get, we get a little annoyed at being reminded sometimes, but a lot depends on how much you want to see the thing being reminded happen. I don't really have that much interest in taking the garbage out. But do I have any interest at all in partaking in the divine nature, having self-control, godliness, all the things that are promised me? It's not like, oh my gosh, you're going to remind me about that again. Mom. No. Oh. These are precious and very great promises. This is glory and excellence in Jesus Christ. Life and godliness. Oh my gosh, someone's reminding me. Any annoyance you might feel is because perhaps you have a higher view of your own arrangement of life. He wants to remind you 
He wants to arouse you by the reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me, somehow Peter, Peter knew he was going to be martyred soon after this writing. And he says, okay, how am I going to do this? Oh, I'm going to write a book. <laughs> oh, I'll write a letter. That's how I'll do it. So not only, because the next saying he says is kind of odd, and I will see to it that after my departure, read dead, you may be able at any time to recall these things. At any time. And here we are, 2,000 years later, North Idaho, the edge of the empire, reading Peter reminding us. Because he said, I'm going to see to it that the Christians who care about the divine nature will have this reminder laid on their plate if they even choose to look at it. It's a wonderful outline of where we're to go, what we're to assign ourselves, what we're... Go back and look at the list when you have some moments. Look at things like divine power, knowledge, promises. Look at things like corruption, passion, divine nature. Look at the list of faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love, and say, okay, how am I doing? Because I've been told I'm supposed to go after these in no uncertain terms. This is not dream desires. Wouldn't it be cool if somebody rich married me? Not that kind of daydreaming. We're not dreaming about... I'm already married. I can't marry somebody rich now, but... She had more money than I had, and a car, and a cat. You got rid of the cat. We're not dreaming of some positive thing, wish it would happen, maybe having a level of interest like buying a lottery ticket. I'll go to church this Sunday. I'll see if anything happens to me. You're going to go to church this Sunday or maybe show up at a Christian potluck and hope somebody waves a magic chicken over you and you become a better Christian? You're going to extend every effort. 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 I was in Lewiston the other day. Because I had to be. And some store downtown, a thrift store, spelled it thrift, thrift. T-H-R-F-I-T. And here I'm pronouncing effort poorly. I should make every effort to pronounce effort correctly so that you will make every effort. The effort. How did that effort? There's an I in there. Pray for me. Verse 16, for we did not follow. You're supposed to be able to recall these things. This is a great, you know, he just walked up to you and handed you the whole counsel of God. Said, hey, why don't you be about this? He says, look, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is not complicated. What is it about that list, faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love, that you do not already understand? You already know what those words mean. And you have a suspicion of which three you're not doing. Or you don't know enough about. Or you haven't pursued. Or they aren't abundant in your life. You know whether or not you care whether the divine nature is being given to you and the result of this knowledge you have. Because ineffective and unfruitful knowledge is possible. This is not reading Wittgenstein. This is not reading anybody... We were talking about this the other night. Maybe it was you guys were over. We were talking about uh, uh, the modern philosophers like since Hume and Hegel and... The other thing, nobody reads them really anymore unless you get assigned it in school. 
Um, but you still read Plato and you still read Aristotle. Because they make sense. You can understand what Aristotle says. Christianity is a very easy system of thought. You won't have to go very far before you're making really good sense out of what Paul says, Peter says, James says, the gospel writers, the prophets. It's not that clever. They weren't devised. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty for when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We heard his, this voice born from heaven for we were the, with him on the holy mountain. Peter looks back to the transfiguration. He looks back to the actual effect of this being true, not merely, hey, this is a neat philosophy for life, why don't we be about, you know, virtue? This is knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is not just knowledge, this is knowledge of our Lord and Savior. His glory and His excellence. Peter says, my relationship with it is, look, I'm a simple man, I don't understand things very well, this is a simple religion, and I also know it's true because I saw the glory. The voice came from heaven. This is my beloved son. And then he says, we have the prophetic, and we have the prophetic word made more sure. And what you're going to find as you live your Christian life, as you go into the path of abundant desire effort, when you find it's predicated on these virtues and on Jesus Christ as Lord. Things become more and more sure. If people are not doing it, if they become blind, short-sighted, and forgetful, and ineffective and unfruitful, yes, as they get to be old Christians, they have all sorts of doubts. Just like men hit their midlife crisis and they go, what's the point? Well, if you've been learning the point of Jesus Christ, if you become partakers of the divine nature, I get my dad up a few times a week and bathe him and the like. And so I get to sit in the bathroom and chat with him as he's, you know, um, showering or whatever. He is a wreck of a man, okay? Looks like somebody beat him with some axe handle. He's old. Death is soon. And it always gets more sure. He sees the work of God more and more at 87. Something to look forward to. Someone to see in St. Peter, who, though he was kind of a bohunkus earlier, he learns some things. He saw the transfigured Lord. He saw the risen Lord. He's building this into a, into a saying, we have had this experience with this God. This is why we want you to study this God, is because we know this is true. This gospel is true. Now, in some of our lives, we read you know, biographies of very famous Christians, or we know some, and... He says, you will do well to pay attention to this as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Pay attention to what I just told you about what happened to me. It's like someone turning the light on in the middle of the night. It's nice to be able to have the light on in the middle of the night. Antiquity, there were no electric lights in the city. When the city lights went out, it was dark. So a lamp lit, a little oil lamp being carried around an ancient home. That was, you know, a remarkable feature of benefit. And you're grateful for it, that the lights are on. You're grateful you can flick a switch and all these lights come on. It's amazing. Middle of the night, you know it's dark and the light is illuminating that room. And that's what our Christian lives in many cases are. 
It's a natural place for it to be. It's not wrong. He's recommending, listen to this, pay attention to this, as if it were a lamp in a dark place. But what's happening to Peter and what's going to happen to you is if you stand close to this lamp, that you're grateful, you're thankful that in this dark world with these dark things going on, Christianity is standing and the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is standing. But something's going to happen to you at some point. I don't know when, I don't know how. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. You ever waited up all night? I've been in the military, had to stand watch. And nothing is more glorious. Not because sunrises are pretty. But it was so dark. <laughs> it was so dark. When you first see around 4.30 that hint of something on the horizon. Dawn is different than a lamp lit in the room. He is telling your heart to feel something. The morning star, that's Venus, rising in the morning before the sun. This is emblematic of something. There's a dawn that occurs in you. Ever freeze the phrase, it dawned on me that it's an epiphany. A lot of our Christian life is us looking at other people's tales, other people's benefits, other people's light set out in the dark space. That is good. But it's waiting for the dawn in you. Let Jesus Christ dawn in you. Let the morning star in your heart touch you like the difference between a 40-watt bulb and the coming dawn. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are grateful. For not being in a religion that is cleverly devised, complex, unable for us regular folk to understand. We'd ask that you would bless us in it. Give us pursuit. Attend to the lights, waiting for the dawn. Making every effort, Lord. We want your nature, we want the peace, we want the grace. Thank you, in your son's name, amen.